0: Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDW, we get that migrating your business to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging.
1: Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it.
0: Whoa, slow down, friend. CDW's experts can help you simplify the transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell Technologies solutions that offer speed and agility.
1: Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet?
0: IT orchestration by CDW. People who get it. Find out more at cdw.com slash Dell tech. Introducing built to last a new podcast by American express. I'm Elaine Welteroff and I'm excited to host the debut season where we will be deep diving into the stories, history
2: and continued legacy of small businesses that shape American culture through these important conversations. We'll hear how the black business leaders of our past have inspired today's
0: black owned small businesses and communities. Join us for the debut season of Built to
2: Last on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
3: Hey, science fans. One thing we don't get to talk about enough on this show is environmental concerns, ecology, resources, that sort of thing. I wish we we had more on, on this topic on the show. Fortunately, I found a new podcast that I believe you guys will enjoy called waterline waterline podcast is everything related to water how to make sustainable irrigation can water bring peace how do you uh, keep water clean and safe and how much money does does our current water system cost in the u.s what changes can we make in how we use water I just listened to a fantastic episode called Water in Peace, Hydropolitics. It was all about um, the many different conflicts over different regions of water. We've drawn all of these arbitrary lines for our kind of political regions and one thing that we didn't really factor in when doing that was water sources so now there's all of these uncomfortable to say the least conflicts uh, where all of these areas overlap over water sources fantastic episode the waterline podcast is an initiative of israel new tech a part of the israeli ministry of economy and industry so check it out for everything you need to know about the economics political social behavioral technological and environmental aspects of water search for waterline podcast on itunes or in your android podcast app we're going to jump right into this today. Got a live episode for you. Real weird, real weird venue. Uh, last minute switcheroo ended up in this weird party house. It was awesome. Had a fantastic conversation. I believe you're going to like it. I think it was uh, one of my top live podcast as far as the quality of the conversation. It was, it was uh, I'd say top two or three of the live ones and at least in my book it's not it's not fair to others to rank i suppose but i just did it it's over it happened let's forget about it um a lot lot of things clicking into place can't share a lot of specific details with you right now but canada and australia tour being worked on for the fall and potentially adding a few u.s dates just i'm not seeking out u.s dates the tour the good trip tour is over Hoping to record it um, at the end of September. That's is the plan in Austin. But uh, I have have had some people reach out about adding on a couple U.S. dates in some areas that I haven't been to yet. So might be putting that together. More coming soon. But yeah, that's about it. Enjoy today's episode. The weirdest venue so far of the Here We Are podcast live. We're here in Athens. Uh, we we're going to do an outdoor show, and uh, and it rained. And now we have this cool little party house that we find ourselves in. Uh, viewers will be able to watch it on YouTube, so you can see the awesome weird trippy setup that we're in. We did a uh, we did a VIP thing. I did my psychedelic show here last night, and then people that bought a VIP ticket also got to come to this podcast, and all of them um, went to the wrong address, every single one of them. Um, tonight is going to be fun. We're going to be talking a whole lot about narcissism, which I'm excited about. I'm actually uh, authority on narcissism. I'm probably the best at talking about narcissism that there is how about a hand for me and my narcissism knowledge everybody yeah you're welcome you are welcome Joining me, I have two psychologists from the University of Georgia. Together, they've collaborated on many studies on narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder and edited a handbook. Their work aims to understand the best way to conceptualize, diagnose, and assess narcissism. Welcome clinical psychologist, professor, and director of clinical training at University of Georgia, Josh Miller, everybody! (laughs) and reluctantly joining me is social psychologist, <laughs> professor, and head of psychology at the University of Georgia, Keith Campbell. Everybody, thank you. Thanks. So you guys are scientists. You played to smaller crowds than this uh, right. <laughs> before. This <laughs> is terrifying. This is, a big I'm this, is a this is. Yeah. This is a sold out show in in yeah, the in the realm of science. By the way, everyone will get a chance to ask questions at the end, so keep that in mind. If there's something that you don't understand halfway through and you urgently need to ask a question, you can raise your hand like you're uh like you're in school but uh i I always start out it's a little it's always a little strange in the intro because i have to have these guys introduce themselves and it's one person talking for five minutes and it doesn't seem like much of a conversation and once we get that out of the way we all start having like a regular very natural conversation as natural of a conversation as people can have with microphones in their face in a weird living room Uh. (laughs) with a camera crew (laughs) <laughs> this is a highly produced living room <laughs> show. This is amazing. Keith, can you talk a little bit about uh, about your background and your work? No. Okay. No, I, I, Fair. Uh, I, I don't blame I, you. I it's, uh, Well, it was I don't a
0: long time ago. I grew up and oh. uh, went to school oh. for about 30 years. <laughs> Finished and studied narcissism most of my career. So that's what I've been doing, trying to figure out narcissism and How it works with people, how it works on social media, how it works in leadership, how it works in relationships. Mostly because understanding ego in sort of the bigger sense is very hard to do, and narcissism
3: is kind of a fun way to look at ego, and it really makes it easy to see and spot. We we have some people in the audience uh, that have had ego deaths before (laughs) from high (laughs) doses of psychedelics. Josh, are you speaking personally? uh, Say that. Well, my idea of an e- I, I think the idea of an ego death is rather silly. When people talk about their ego death, they're usually bragging about it, and that seems like narcissism. Yeah. yeah, it seems like their ego's still probably okay <laughs> <Yeah>. if they're <laughs> able to brag about their ego death. Is it hashtag ego uh, death? You're Instagramming your <laughs> ego death. Everyone, everyone, on, retweet the, my <laughs> my
2: ego death. death. <laughs> uh, Josh, talk a little bit about yeah. your work. I'm a clinical psychologist and um, Keith and I started collaborating when I went to UGA in 2005 because we were sort of just disagreeing about narcissism because I was coming at it from a clinical perspective which tends to think about it in a you're hiding your inner shame and little child and he was coming at it from a social psychologist perspective that really studied it more like no it's genuinely you do think you're a badass it's not necessarily that deep down you dislike yourself so we were sort of just right from the start sort of disagreeing and talking about it, just started doing studies and looking at it and finding, you know, lo and behold, these two different parts of science, we're talking about different constructs, really, and that maybe there were different ideas of narcissism, different types of narcissism. I sort of was saying to you before, right, there's this vulnerable George Costanza, fragile narcissist that, you know, clinical people are used to seeing. And then there's the, I'm the president of the corporation, I'm the president of the country, I'm the best athlete in the world type of narcissism. And that's kind of more what Keith was studying. Yeah. How, what is kind of the modern definition of
3: narcissism? Because it seems like a very tricky, you're saying there's different kinds and, I mean, the the word narcissist gets thrown around quite a bit, mostly by my girlfriend. Um, <laughs> I know, isn't that great? They love that word. Yeah,
0: they use it as sort of a synonym for jerk, in case you're wondering what that meant. It yeah, yeah. meant you're a jerk, and I don't really like what you did right then.
3: Well, that was a fancy way to call yeah, me a jerk. Yeah, but,
0: but it shows they're smarter than you. Um, <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I, I think you know what. When most people think about narcissism, they're thinking about this more grandiose form, which is somebody who's sort of confident, self-centered, uh, maybe charismatic or charming or outgoing. Um, somebody who can be fun to be with, but it's maybe a little interpersonally callous, maybe manipulative. Take, will take advantage of you at t- a time or two, um, or three. Or three. <laughs> And, 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 somebody where you, you know, we talk about like self-regulation, they spend a lot of time looking good. So you, you know, you see it with the, I've got check out my new car, check out my new ego death online, hashtag ego death, you know, <laughs> um, they, they're doing the selfies. They're kind of, they're kind of promoting themselves often.
3: I eat and, the best food Yeah, Check day. out my food. Look at this food. food that
0: yeah. I eat.
3: Oh, yeah. you bet your food doesn't look like this. Yeah,
0: so that I think that's what most people are thinking about when they think yeah. of narcissism, this much more extroverted celebrity, politician form.
3: So how do you as an academic view narcissism compared to what the kind of general um, public are perceiving it as?
2: I think we perceive it that way too. I mean, oh, I think the okay. distinction lies in that um, clinical psychologists and psychiatrists have thought of it from a more psychodynamic perspective that is it's a facade underneath that bravado is really like I said the wounded child that like they were didn't get what they needed from their parents, and now they've put on this sort of bravado, but it's brittle, you could poke it and it'll sort of fall into shambles that deep down they don 't think that well in fact, maybe they think exactly the opposite they feel inadequate so that 's the difference right and I was you know um. That's who they're seeing in therapy. They're seeing patients that have come in because life isn't going good for them, so they may be grand and at the same time feeling depressed and shy and resentful that life hasn't given them what they thought they'd get. But the people we're talking about that aren't in clinical settings may not feel that way. They may feel life has gone pretty well for them, and when it hasn't gone well, it's other people's fault. It's not their own fault. And so if you don't think it's your own fault, you're not going to treatment unless... You know your wife says, "You better go to treatment we're getting divorced, or your lawyer says you're going to treat <laughs> if you want to have a chance of having custody of your kids, you're going to go like unless you're mandated to it, yeah. your average prototypical narcissist is not going to seek therapy probably yeah. so the
3: narcissist that that a uh, psychologist is seeing is typically someone humble enough. To admit yeah. to themselves yeah. or, that they're narcissists. Or suffering enough. Right. There are enough
0: sort of psychological pain and not enough uh, pressure that they, you know, no one understands
2: me. I'm falling apart. I need help. Some people talk about like the failed narcissists. Yeah. They've, they've tried long enough. They can no longer sustain this, in some cases, fake superiority. Life has, you know, they're divorced yeah. several times. They don't have custody of their kids. Their job isn't what they thought. They now feel, like Keith said, enough pressure that they have to seek therapy even though they're not quick to still even in that case take much yeah. ownership over it. and so therapists tend to have a difficult time treating narcissists they don't look forward to seeing them they <laughs> they develop a lot of a counter-transference they feel strongly towards their patients like dreading those sessions not wanting to see them because they're a dick
3: maybe uh, yeah. <laughs> well i mean it's,
0: it's interesting to think about it you know when we when we talk about psych psychopaths or psychopath you know psychopathy you know, we usually study those people in prisons. So so when you see psychopaths in prisons, like, well, that's, that's a decent representation, but they're probably the ones who weren't that good. They got caught. Narcissism, we don't study them in prisons or in corporations or in relationships or on Tinder. We study them in clinical settings, which is really not the best place to find grandiose narcissists. That's not where they go. Hmm. They tend to go to the club after the show. <laughs>
2: We, we've argued that like it's almost like trying to study a lion's natural behavior in a zoo. It may really not be the place to learn about people with those traits in their natural ha- habitat in some ways. So you're not getting a full representation of what it really means to be narcissistic.
3: Wouldn't there be a way of tricking narcissists into being studied and saying like, "Hey, we're what we're studying is like how to be successful yeah. and we're looking for just the best <laughs> most talented people
2: yeah. out there." And then yeah. kind of well, we've been talking for like, years about yeah. doing a study on reality television and yeah. so, because <laughs> the people if you said, "Hey, we're doing a study to see who's good for reality television," you the narcissists would yeah. just pour in, right? Like they would really resonate with the chance to be on TV. So I, yeah. I totally think you're right, that you could easily attract people with that yeah. kind of honey. It's another one of those great studies that never got done was the reality show study. It was a
3: little too complicated, no funding. Yeah, but yeah.
0: that was the ball.
3: Well, it is interesting that people want to be, there's literally a show called Big Brother, which is <laughs> a nightmare world scenario yeah. created by George Orwell who like yeah. like this is like here's a nightmare situation <laughs> I, of the future I'll sign up, I'll sign <laughs> up. I'll sign up please,
0: please please help me in. do it with me <laughs> <laughs>
3: So so we talk a lot on the podcast. Uh, for those of you that have never heard the podcast or maybe listeners at home, first time turning in, or you just haven't heard an episode talking about this, this is something that um, over the last year we've been having many episodes about because I personally just find it to be... Both endlessly fascinating and I think really, really important. I talk about this in my stand up act, but there's these kind of big five personality indicators that a lot of psychologists, I mean, they're not perfect. There's debates in the field and everything else, but just to, just to quick give you a run through. And I do think that repetition is important. So some listeners might be like, Oh, again with this, but it's, uh, the important things. It's repetition will help you remember. And then you can, and when you're at your dinner party, you can, uh, you can, rattle them off off the top of your head and then everyone will will applaud your intelligence and then you get to pat your narcissistic self on the bat um but there's conscientiousness which is like um organizational skills that sort of thing um agreeableness which is like uh you guys get agreeableness, niceness. Niceness, yeah. yeah and <laughs> and Um, and then there is, uh, there's extroversion and which is another one. And then openness is the only one that I I think helps to define a little bit. That's kind of, uh, I, I like when it's described as a threshold for ambiguity is, is like a nice, so because to me, because I'm a very open person and as you guys, uh, gathering in this weird, uh, hippie house are all also biased toward openness, um, I think that it's good to open our, ourselves up to more experiences. Um, but, but in all of these things, there's not necessarily a good or a bad. There's, there's pros and cons to being one way or another. And narcissism would be the fifth one. So, so what's kind of like a pro and con situation with narcissism? Because narcissism is presented like it's just this negative thing. Ooh, this person's a narcissist. That's an insult well evolutionarily if if something is just like overall bad it's really hard for it to survive um, and and keep on spread and that's uh, now this is actually a two-part question because I also want to know kind of some of the genetic uh, against the environmental um, correlates of of what is making up? Not you. You mentioned like the wounded child. Did you say? And I, I think like from a
2: psychologist from a clinical pers- theory yeah. perspective, yeah,
3: it's a lot of. Um, I, I mean, sometimes clinical theory is a little bit like a little too heavy into like your upbringing was this, and this is like everything that's wrong with you. Where I, I think the field's starting to change a little bit yeah. and understand that. I mean we're very like forward looking animals um and we have to be thinking about the future quite a- I saw some study they uh they put like some beeper or something like that on on people's wrist and uh, or something or, or it's just an alarm that went off on their phone and it would just randomly go off throughout the day and they'd ask them if they're ta- thinking about the past present or future in that moment and overall people are thinking about the future and so how much of the past does but again Past experiences, we're not necessarily conscious of how much they're influencing. So this is this is science. Science yeah. is a tricky thing to tease apart. All of the number of infinite variables. But um, what what are your takes on on both? Uh, environmental versus genetic, which I know is kind of a flawed uh, uh, nature versus nature or na- nurture versus nature is sort of a flawed thing anyway these days. And uh, and we're not really like in, in general, you don't talk like that. But but then um, also kind of what the pros and cons of of more extreme levels of narcissism might be.
2: Uh, Keith, I think he thinks there are more adaptive yeah. <laughs> aspects than I do. So I'll let him.
3: Uh,
0: yeah,
2: I, I tend to be more on the adaptive side. Um, but it's not because you're more narcissistic than me. No,
0: <laughs> I'm better at narcissism <laughs> than you. No, I, I mean, we a lot of traits, like you said, a lot of traits, we look at his trade offs even something like openness, which is good. I think at the extreme is associated with schizophrenia, or schizotypy, at least. Um, with narcissism it it seems to be very good for starting relationships meeting people beginning relationships Um, it's very good for becoming a leader so if we have a bunch of straight people together the narcissists are more likely to emerge as leaders they they tend to be good under pressure so if it's you know public performance people are narcissistic tend to do better because they don't get as anxious they're just like you know, I always remember uh, Michael Jordan. You know, if you guys don't remember him, he's a basketball player. Like, <laughs> but he's the guy at the end of the game. He's like, "Throw me the ball," you know. Yeah. And I would melt if somebody I'll, threw I'll me the shoot from half court. Yeah, I know I there's care. a guy right I'm under the basket. It, you yeah. know, and it's so. I think it really helps with those kind of things. Where it hurts is long everywhere else. Everywhere else. Yeah, it hurts long term relationships. That you might feel good, but the people in your life tend to suffer suffer from it. Um, it helps you become a leader, but once you're a leader, you tend to make riskier decisions. It can be really catastrophic at times, so it, it, so it has a lot of downsides as well, um, but it's definitely a trade-off. There's definitely times that it, it, it works, or else people wouldn't be lining up to do it.
3: What about people that aren't narcissistic enough, that are on like the very low end? Is that a thing? Is that, does that go That's along a, with like self-esteem it's issues? It's tough perhaps? because there's sort of a
0: couple ways you can think about the reverse of narcissism. One is you can think of it as sort of being egoless and being humble. And humility is sort of good for a lot of things. You like humble people. You can learn from your st- mistakes. But you also might not be uh, assertive enough, might not take as many risks. Um, and then there's this sort of submissive opposite of narcissism, this more echo side, you know, from the myth of Narcissus and Echo. Who re- she, Echo, you guys don't know the myth, Echo repeated everything Narcissus said, which is why we call them echoes. Um, and that sort of submissiveness or dependence, I think, can be a real problem, too. So, yeah, I think the low side can be negative, depending on how you think about it.
3: What's the Greek thing with narcissists? That's uh, like a god that, like some imp. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: like, so, so he's this good looking guy. I don't remember if he's half god or There's different. There's nymph, like oh, the yeah. Greek version and then the Roman version. But he was going around trying to find the, the sort of this ideal partner for him. And Echo was one of these partners who repeated everything she said. And he ended up rejecting Echo. And then he saw his reflection in a pool of water and froze. And he, he fell in love with his own image and died. And in that spot, a plant grew, which was we call the Narcissus now, which is a type of day lily. Um, so it's very much a myth about sort of the problems with self-love, I think, that sort of falling in love with yourself can lead to issues like you end up dying, you end up not connecting with others. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not no, a No, I get it. Every yeah. day,
3: like when I look in the mirror, it's just like a deer in headlights. Yeah, you're like, like, what <laughs> is this beautiful <laughs> yeah. man? It's really, it's just... I can't breathe,
2: you know. My I'm heart's right racing. <laughs> yeah. But
3: I, I mean, I've heard stories
0: like one story of a, g- a guy whose uh, boyfriend took uh, snapshots with like uh, Polaroids every night to capture his image to sleep. I mean, you can have it can be. Ex- I know it's a little extreme. That's creepy. Yeah, I, I would have talked to him about that. <laughs>
3: but yeah, huh. it, it you can knew be- a guy.
0: Yeah, I knew this guy. <laughs> <laughs> what do they call it? Yeah, Polaroids.
3: I I'm more like. Polaroids. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's right,
0: right. sorry, all my stories are dated. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a long time ago.
2: Uh, in, in terms of the development, I think you know the environmental models have been the bigger ones. That like parenting, like I said, from this these psychodynamic ideas. And but there's really not a lot of great longitudinal data, right? Where you start in childhood and follow forward. Um, I mean, one cool study looked at these kids over time and had preschool. Um, teachers rate them on traits related to Narsim. It wasn't a study meant to be about narcissism, but they sort of later on reconfigured it. So these kids were rated at three on traits related to Narsim, like how attention seeking is the kid, how sort of callous, how much you know, do they not seem to connect with other kids? And the traits correlated from like, you know, preschool into their twenties to twenty-five at about point two, point three, which you might be like, that's terrible. But over twenty-year period, that's pretty good. I mean, so to me it suggests Narcissism is around already. Now, lots of kids, all kids are narcissistic to some degree, right? They have not learned yet, but already you can tell who's more narcissistic, and that much of that carries forward later. Now, there probably are environmental things. This um, guy we've worked with, Sander, did a neat one where they measured people multi-wave every six months. They measured their narcissism and how much their parents were overvaluing them, like saying, "Shane, you're the funniest guy in the world." So like, I mean, funny. you are so so funny. I I mean I I, mean, I, I that get sounds that. reasonable. <laughs> I mean I ask for it sure but like I feel it seems genuine when people But the people emails sit to your parents every day it. asking for it, it seems <laughs> And so they they measured that and measured parental warmth and what they found was you know this link that at, at time 1 if your parents are overvaluing you the kid is feeling more narcissistic 6 months later and each wave sort of continues to find that parents that were just warm just saying, you know, you're a great son, you're not the funniest guy, but you're a great son, those kids were not getting more narcissistic. So that's an an environmental pathway of overvaluating, you know, thinking, telling your kid that they're better than others and the rules don't apply to you, and how dare that teacher give you a bad grade? Do they know who you are? You know, that kind of message probably could amplify if you already have those tendencies. What
3: about the other way of of um uh, of the So those are the people that are maybe not necessarily seeking treatment. What about the people that are coming in? Is is that more of like a masking of an insecurity where maybe they weren't getting enough validation? Does it... Uh, Like, how many different kind of types of narcissism are there? We
2: talk about two major ones, grandiose, like we've talked about the Jordan and maybe some people that are running parts of big countries right now. There's that grandiose kind. Of names we (laughs) shall not mention. (laughs) And then there's the more vulnerable kind. And um, the vulnerable kind in our own work, it's retrospective. So we're asking adults to remember their childhood the vulnerable kind, but not the grandiose, are saying their parents mistreated them, that they didn't care about them. They were, like, controlling about their emotional expression. Like, that's stupid, Shane, that you feel that way. Why would you feel that way? Sort of intrusive um, and and just aren't paying attention to them. And so we find that with the vulnerable kind. But the grandiose kind, we really don't find much um, in terms of parenting. It's much harder to find real negative parenting, except maybe this overvaluation where you're being told – that you're better than you are in a way that's not contingent with actually your performance. Um,
3: I mean, it is confidence is such a strange thing because it's there. There's nothing more oblivious and stupid than confidence. And there's nothing like more necessary for just like moving forward in life. And I mean, I think that is why narcissists tend to, if, if, if someone is just delusionally like, or maybe not delusionally, but even if they are delusional and they're going like, hey, everybody, I know just what to do right now. And you're around a bunch of people are like, well, I'm not I'm not that yeah. sure of myself. And what the like, yeah. I guess we listen to that guy. It seems like he yeah. knows, <laughs> knows the answer because, I mean, for your average person um, to be able to talk that confidently about anything usually requires a tremendous amount of experience, you know, and, um, like maybe I can, I can talk more confidently about some aspects of science that I've read a fair amount or, or say psychedelics because I have a fair amount of ex- experience with, but, but then there's, um, you know, there, there's people that will talk about the same fields that I I, I do, I do my, um, I've been doing a DMT talk and, uh, you know, travel around doing this psychedelic show. And there, sometimes people are coming up to me after, like, my DMT talk and they're like, but what about this? What about that? This thing and that thing. And, like, all, all these, like, they have something else to say about every point that I've made. And, like, so, and they, I'm like, I'm sitting there like, wow, these people, like, really know their stuff. I'm an amateur compared to this. This person having only smoked DMT a hundred times and they they must <laughs> they must be doing this stuff every day the way they're talking. I'm like, how how much have you actually done DMT? And they'll be like, Oh, I tried it once, I didn't quite break through, but <laughs> I definitely know <laughs> what, what I'm no talking ego about. Yeah. Hashtag <laughs> no ego and It's like and but there's so there's like usefulness there. And I mean like some of life is how much do you need to know about life to get by? Like, a lot of times, if you just, like, believe you can do something,
2: you might be dead wrong. But just the belief itself can – you'll get yourself there. But there, there's cool stuff on self-promotional, self-enhancement work. I think Keith has done some of this stuff, too. It shows that it's successful. So if I, like, brag right now that, like, this is not true. But, like, if I said I've got a million-dollar home and, you know, a Ferrari and stuff and – you would know that about me. Now, you probably think, he's a dick. Like, I don't really like him, but you would be like, wow, he's doing well. And that's what narcissists don't care about the communal part. They don't care that you think I'm a jerk. They care that you know what I have. And so I think it's successful for narcissists. They value that you think they have high status. They don't care that you don't like them that much because that's not core to their sense of self. Their sense of self is about superiority. So these people I see on Facebook all the time who are telling me about their newest promotion or something really bragging that i'm always like cringing like why would you why would you put that on there they're successful though i now know that they've been promoted to this big new position and stuff and they don't care that i'm thinking less of them as a person or a friend because they have achieved their goal of i do know that they're now making much more than i'm making or whatever you know that they've done that i might you know be uh, impressed by
0: I just want to point out for the listeners in California, a million dollar house in Georgia is worth a lot of money. I mean, like half of LA was That's like more than a one-bedroom, one-bath apartment. Everybody, like what a loser!
3: You know? it's like, you know,
0: it's like... Now that the other Two thing, that, yeah, the, other, the other thing to add is that there's this actually this um, this test. Uh, that was developed by a guy named Del Paulus called Overclaiming, where you give people knowledge that doesn't exist. You're like, do you know about the Battle of 1915? And people narcissistic go like, yeah, of course I do. And you're uh. like, well, we just made that up. <laughs> but they, but there's sort of this, this confidence that extends into sort of non-real domains. The confidence just spreads beyond what's real. So it's not just being kind of confident before a race. I know I can do it this time. It's like I know who ran France before, you know Napoleon, huh. and so it—that it, oh, would be a real thing. Who was but it? I don't remember. <laughs> was it a Louis? Was it Louis? Was it? A Rep- yeah. Ah, oh, thing. I'll take it. No, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just. I, I like yeah. to be wrong.
3: It helps me learn. Um, I, I mean, uh, so every comedian, which has to have so, uh, there there's a fair level of narcissism in uh, amongst the comedy community certainly i want to get on stage and have everyone listen and laugh at what clever amazing things that i have to say that are so very important but then another thing that we uh, i mean there's also a lot of vulnerability that comes along with that um but uh, I mean, YouTube videos uh, like amongst a comedy community is like really a cliche thing to talk about. Where where you get comments on your YouTube videos, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, you know <laughs> people out there that just really make up their mind that they don't like you, and like really have to say something about it, and um, and sometimes don't even watch more than ten seconds. There's like a lot of internet trolls out there that are like especially early on when youtube came out there'd be like people that would just like oh i can call someone gay and like not have to say it to their face and so they just click through as many youtube's gay gay homo and and uh and so those I've apologized for that by the <laughs> yeah, way I, mean, yeah, yeah. I was like i was it younger was a i mean time, I, time. I wasn't going to point fingers <laughs> um but but the thing is is like as a comedian um those ones really D- just just r- r- bounce right off it, they, those ones don't affect me in any way because of like a superiority thing i'm like oh this poor 14 year old that's right. a-. <laughs> like what actually like hurts is when people are, <laughs> when people are like try uh, like understanding and they're like well i didn't like this one piece because of this and then and i'm like oh damn it they're right <laughs> like, they were right in that like well thought out point yeah. of you know, like ah shit um and so, but I I can see the value of that as a as a narcissist um uh, we, we live in um of a social world the uh full of all sorts of criticism and a lot of like say if you're a guy looking for a lady it can be horribly embarrassing to be rejected but to just like not even imagine. That like a girl's not rejecting you that then a girl's gonna be like, wow, who is this guy? He must have a Ferrari and a great job and ought to have that a much million dollar, dollar house oh, in Georgia. How, <laughs> how, how, how else could you have that much confidence? See, but it's kind of an honest indicator in a way. And then, but it can be deceptive as, as well. I mean, part part of it is I think that's part of the evolutionary history of, I mean, there's a lot of self deception in our evolutionary history where we're all. Uh, most of us, um, uh, barring whatever self-esteem issues in particular categories of our lives are, we tend to overvalue our, our, overrate our intelligence or ability to drive or be like, I, I think that I'm better than half of the population at, um, like, Basically any sport you can throw at me, and I'm like really not an athletic person <laughs> yeah. at all. Like I'm kind you of look really and, <laughs> well, you're just like saying you're seven and... out of ten, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're yeah, not yeah. a ten. You're just yeah, saying you're yeah. seven I'm out of ten. Like, yeah, I would say a six. Six, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like even golfing, I'm like oh, I bet six. I'm like you put you put me having golf ten times against another person having golf ten times and for some reason. I'm like I bet I. Good chance. And that's just not true. It's yeah. simply... I mean,
2: Americans are like... I mean, the better yeah. an average effect is that Americans, no matter what domain you ask about, all Americans think they're better than average, which just kind of goes against the whole distribution of how scores work mathematically, right? No one actually... Not everyone oh, yeah. can be above average, but they think they're smarter, more intelligent. More humble. Better looking. Yeah. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah no, I do I do that in class. I used to do it in class. Humble. Like, rate
3: yourself and it's like everybody's average
2: is seven, seven out, to out of ten. It's amazing. Out of humility.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's... But it's okay, you know.
3: I mean, I think it's uh, very much
2: necessary in a way. But um, uh, it goes with. That. I mean, there's some research about you know depressed people. People used to think yeah you know, were um wearing like dark colored glasses, right? Seeing the world particularly in a negative way, and right. And then there was this idea of depressive realism. Maybe, yeah. Maybe depressed yeah. people are seeing the world right, and the rest yeah. of us are wearing pink colored glasses, and that may be true. It's it's adaptive to not always be thinking about like I'm not going to beat that guy at golf, and I'm. Not really making a million dollars, and I'm not the best looking. I mean, it, you know, it's maybe better not to focus on those things entirely.
3: It was tricky when I heard about that because I've suffered from cr- chronic depression since about the age of nine. And then I kind of heard that point of view that maybe they're having a, a clearer oh, yeah. version of reality. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm just perceiving reality better. <laughs> and then that gave me this confidence boost. And then, then I now. wasn't perceiving things really. <laughs> so now it's, it's really tricky. Tri- tricky to figure out where i'm at and how close this is to any percent to me like right now um you guys might be counting heads and come to some number right now to me they're like back to the washington monument is like yeah. that's how far they're going in my head and sure you do a head count there might be 12 people here um 12 people, but i think i, I actually Church. just overestimated yeah. that that's 10 there's ten people. I threw in. I, I threw in two you bonus a herd coming from beyond the That's not bad. I can. I can cheat one. You two count. We I mean, count. you're you're really here as an audience for me. Yeah. <laughs> like this oh, is. <laughs> this yeah. is just. You're just here for my excuse to talk more. And yeah, I'm here. Uh, I'm
0: here for the money uh, and the tax. Right? Uh, <laughs> that's beer. The free half a beer. <laughs> <laughs>
3: It's uh, $5 unlimited beer actually <laughs> that's a donation. It's a pretty sweet deal. Um and the best deal maybe. So what kind of a uh, what kind of studies are you guys doing to to test this stuff?
2: I mean one of the things we're doing now we just were talking with some co- colleagues is really trying to parse out what is sar- self-esteem and what is narcissism, right? People have always presumed they must be highly overlapping. So we've been looking at it in our data across like a- 11 samples up to Two or 3,000 people and trying to figure out. And what you really see is they're really quite different, you know, is that they're characterized by some things that are similar. So high self-esteem, high narcissistic people are very approach-oriented. They go for what they want. They're confident. They, are, you know, they, they appro- approach in a reasonable way, like reward. Um, but where they differ really is in how they view others, right? Is like I always say, like, narcissistic people live in a zero-sum world. If I'm the best, you cannot be the best and vice versa, right? Self-esteem is like we both could be great, Right, that leaves a lot of room for you to be great and it's not threatening to me that you're really good and that's where we see the biggest difference is the narcissists are very low on agreeableness and self-esteem, high self-esteem people aren't actually particularly high because they're willing to be jerks when they need to and be assertive. It's not that they're overly agreeable but they're sort of normal in it. and then narcissists you just get this really low they don't trust others they think they're better they're manipulative they're callous and that seems to be one of the biggest things and so the narcissists are then you know they're aggressive they're antisocial the self-esteem people are really very well adjusted as you might imagine right they're they're resilient to stressors the comment you mentioned about the person that sort of wounds you they're able to say that that was a good point and i feel a little hurt but I really appreciate that feedback. Whereas a narcissist would have really ha- felt like they needed to denigrate that person. Because if, if my whole identity is built, built on being the very best, to have a comment come in like that and, and maybe wound me would be too threatening. You know, that I mean, they've built their whole house on one pillar of superiority. And so you can't allow that pillar to suffer any blows.
3: Yeah, as I someone like who metaphor. rates in the middle of narcissism, which for a comedian, I would say that would then be low. That be a would little low. Of, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, uh, is, is how that would average out. But I definitely, I have friends that are very much like me. Um, that are my point of view is it's not that I've never experienced bitterness or, je- I mean, bitterness, sure, but like jealousy and like particular comics. I have experienced it, but usually I'm um, like, well, I think I'm pretty good at this and I hope that other people are as well because the more good comics there are out there, the more good shows there will be, the more good shows there will be, the more people will come out and return back to the places. And then that means more work for everybody and the stand up comedy thing that is something that your average person goes to maybe once every two years will maybe bump up to two times a year or something like that. Then that means, um, a lot more opportunities. For everybody but then there's there's definitely lots and lots of stuff in the comedy community of like and i, I find it like really <laughs> troubling actually it's just like even like friends of, of people you that you are friends yeah, that, share, are, that are, are that are like can you hashtag something can yeah? you believe this person <laughs> like even a per, person that they've been like um uh, promoting and are like friends within fans of they're like I don't understand why they got that and I I don't have this thing and there's just so much of that out there. I know there's there's some of that in academia. It's very small. <laughs> very small. It's yeah.
0: very, very hug. It's kind of a hug fest most of the time.
3: I I follow some <laughs> some uh, people on Twitter that uh, that are I like, I'm like wow. This person is like uh <laughs> like Whew, uh Brutal and and like geniuses too. Like some people that are doing like incredible work. I've had past guests that I look at. I mean, and then we all go through phases too, where I feel like I have, um, I have times. I, I think we all have times when we're more narcissistic than other times, and in different
2: environments. Um, my favorite narcissism story that I've read is um Michael Jordan, who is sort of famously narcissistic. Um, Scottie Pippen and he had young boys like infant boys, toddler boys before two and they're in the locker room afterwards and I don't know if the kids were naked and I don't know why they would be naked if so <laughs> <Yeah>. but uh, <laughs> apparently the story is that Pippen says to um, Jordan you know, my son's penis is bigger than your son's and Jordan flips out, <laughs> is extraordinarily angry and like tears out of the locker room, right? And just shows you like Just how harmful, like, such a small thing, right? If he said my son had a bigger head, like, no one would have cared, right? But, like, you know, it shows the, like, how sensitive and also about this agentic power thing, the penis, right, is that, like, how threatening it was. To have that pointed out to him, you know, I just love that story. It probably wasn't even relevant. Yeah, to yeah. no. <laughs> I, just... Just... I had to work in a penis story yeah, and a Jordan so... story. Well, if
3: you're gonna be, to be talking about penises, make I'm sure they're the children's penises. <laughs> <laughs> sure. We talk a lot about children's penises on this yeah. show. I've thought about changing the name of this podcast to Children's Penises. It's mostly
2: all when we you're ever taking talk DMT. About. It's a
1: lot of yeah, child yeah. penises. It's right. just
3: like an infinite, like Russian yeah. doll. All of, like, oh, yeah. child Just penis fractalize. inside a child <laughs> penis. Oh, <God. laughs> They're infinitely small and long at the same time. Um, okay. So, yeah, that's uh, that's the new that's name of my podcast. podcast. So, but, uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: but, but, I mean, changing the
3: subject quickly. Um,
0: there's different ways to get ahead. And you can get ahead by being kind of a self-absorbed, grandiose douchebag and stepping on people. And that can kind of work. Or you can have friends and allies and work together and sort of have friendly competition and and but but sort of hope the whole field moves. And that works, too. And I mean, both those models can work at the same time. Um, The cost of being arrogant and stepping on people is you'll get away with that as soon as you have as long as you have power. But as soon as you lose your power, people take you down because they don't like you. If you build people up along with yourself You might have a rough time and maybe Shane's like, hey, man, why don't you just come and you know be the fluffer for my show or whatever um right. because i know you need a break because you helped me out before so
3: yeah usually i have to fluff all of yeah. the audiences yeah. just that's single-handedly the only reason I'm here. One, <laughs> one, one one by one and so it's nice to have an opener <laughs> that i can just throw 50 bucks
2: <laughs> so I'm Like
0: to fluff the entire audience warmed up for me <laughs> sorry i had to take it
3: there. no it's no problem but going back to children's penises um <laughs> i uh can we work the fluffing uh, in? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I I mean it. It is going back to basketball. There's definitely pe- people players that are amazing at assists that have huge numbers in assists, and I think that that probably is a hard thing to do when you're. I mean. When a team's looking at you and they're looking at, well, now everything's like money balled up and they're looking yeah. at statistics and they have it kind of figured out. But I think it is easy to be like, hey, that guy made the most points. Therefore, that is the yeah. best person. Um, whereas maybe maybe we all, we all need to be working on, uh, on passing the ball a little better. And, well, there's an interesting working. idea
2: about communal narcissism that Keith's advisor kind of came up, this idea that you're still satisfying agentic me goals but by doing communal things like i'm the nicest guy in this room i'm the most (laughs) helpful i i mean i think one of the items on the scale literally is like i care more about the world than other people and i think like even in basketball you can see that there are there are people who i mean rajon rondo is this guy who will pass up layups to as a point guard to us get assists because his ego is based around assists so would you say is it really like um, helping the team? Not necessarily. The helping the team is taking the easy basket when it's there. So he's still doing it like for his own personal needs. It looks communal, but really the goal is still to build up his ego, which is say to finish the season with the most assists. So there are different ways to satisfy. I like his
3: teammates getting the ball from him, being like, "What a dick. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Just
0: shoot it next time. <laughs> Yeah, well, I—I I mean, there's this. Uh, I, this is not going to work. This example, but it's—it's it's one of my favorites. Is studies. it another child? Being no, no, that was Josh. That was not, That one killed. Us. That was no. No, I, no, I, I you was. You can't
2: top that one. I'm not.
0: To, I'm not even going to try. But it does involve small animals. Um, there was a study done in poultry science where they wanted to find groups of chickens that laid the most eggs together. So they went to all these different coops and found. Well, let's get the chicken that lays the most eggs, and we'll put all those chickens together, and then they're. We're going to have the killer, you know, the dream team of egg laying. What happens when you do that is you end up getting these chickens that are exploiting others to get ahead. And that's why they're laying the most eggs in their group. You put them together and they just attack each other. So a lot of times a mistake we make is we'll get the people who score the most. And this was the example in the dream team. and I don't remember which Olympics it was. I don't know anything about sports. Yeah, but... I think it was. Um, when you take the best performers, the best obvious performers, and put them together, a lot of times those people don't work well as a team. And we need to think more about selecting teams rather than just the, the highest performers on teams. Because often
3: they're performing well by taking advantage of other people. Well... Um since the, really the only way to look at narcissism is through the lens of basketball, what about the Globetrotters? I mean, I felt like they were I mean, generous, but assholes, they're still showy, 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 but they're still no. past the but, ball. But the,
0: but the thing is, the, I mean, how would you like to be the Washington Generals? You know, lose. Was that the name? Yeah, they yeah. lost uh, every single game, like every time by two points. Right.
3: Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah.
0: Sorry, guys. It could happen differently next time. But uh yeah, it takes a healthy ego to lose that consistently, yeah. and be mocked.
3: <laughs> yeah, and then you're getting the ball like bounce You're getting pants <laughs> <Yeah>, and like, <laughs> <you're> getting- <laughs> <laughs> it's like these guys again every time. in front of a whole audience. <laughs> <laughs> they're very generous, those generals. That's yeah. true. We don't give them enough credit. We don't. Shout, um, out. shout, shout out to the generals. <laughs> generals. I'm sure they're listening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, what would you say is, um, I, I mean, I don't want to say healthy amount of narcissism. I, I guess every situation requires different, and the thing is, is like, you might be, um, you might have horrible self-esteem, like working in the mailroom at your job, and then like you get out. On the basketball court yeah. for your... up, op- And then all of a sudden you're the head honcho and you're a narcissist yeah. on the basketball court. Yeah. So these things are kind of flexible. Have you noticed any kind of um, effective sort of Happy mediums, ways to be in, amongst narcissists, like a, maybe a healthy
0: level or is just... I, I think it, you know, a lot depends on context. A lot depends on what you're interested in. There's some work that shows these sort of what we call curvilinear effects, like with leadership that you have, you, have, you know, 80% narcissism is good, but 100% and it starts to hurt you again. Sometimes you find that, sometimes you don't. Generally, I think a lot of it is context. It's like you find narcissism and, and it's, I mean, Josh can speak to this well when things become a disorder is, you know, most of us are pretty flexible in our personalities and narcissism might, it might work well now because I'm like, check me out, you know, buy my book or whatever.
4: But if What's I go your book,
0: uh, yeah, um, <laughs> but I go home and I start if I start acting like that to my kid, you know, and then it's like, but daddy, I thought you loved me. Why do you keep talking about your book? then it can become a problem. So a lot of what we need to do is learn when to turn our personalities on and when to turn them off, how to be flexible with them, how to be flexible across different relationships. Is that- Yeah, I
2: think that's true. I, just, I, I, mean, I don't know I would ever want to encourage someone to be narcissistic. I would want to encourage them to have robust self-esteem, right? I want them to be assertive and stand up for themselves and seek opportunity when it's there, but again, not have a zero sum, have the idea you have is like, I want my fellow comedians to do well. There's enough room for all of us. And in fact, I might benefit from that, but, but not wanting others to do well just for my own benefit, just because there's plenty of room for lots of good comedians or academicians. It's not a limited piece of pie that if I only get one piece, yeah, or if you take all of it, I don't get any. So I mean, I, don't, I, I would not think about increasing narcissism, but increasing self-esteem and sense of self and being robust to the slings and arrows that life deals all of us and not being so wounded by YouTube comments or rejection. So someone's
3: sitting here listening to this and
2: they're like, I don't know what these guys are talking
3: about. Narcissist, I'm just great at everything. What oh, are, yeah, that's what right. are, what are some, uh, like kind of factors that someone can look for if you're, if you're, You know, given a survey or a questionnaire on, you know, like the big five does this. I kind of forget what some of the specific questions in the particular one that I did. But what are uh, sort of some things that people could ask themselves to be like, okay, this is where I might be on the narcissist. Well, I I
2: mean, I love this one because it's so apropos. But like one of the ones, it's in in the narcissistic personality inventory, which makes you choose between two statements. One of the statements, though, is like the world would be a better place if I ran it. Like if you yeah, think the world I, is a better okay. place if you ran it, like if I think of me running the world, I think about pooping my pants. Like I, I mean, I, I, I don't uh, want to run the world. I don't want to run to Georgia. It seems like such a
3: pain in the ass. I, like oh, terrifying
2: anything, though uh, too. I, I actually I that's hate my responsibility.
3: responsibility. That's one I'm very <laughs> low on <laughs> That's what pensions. I want I Really? Oh was? yeah. I
0: tried. I would love Good to. for you. Go. But for I'd hate it. to look at myself in the mirror <laughs> doing it. I'm like, you fat mother. You don't deserve to be here. No portraits of me in the White House. But I still want to run it. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, narcissism. Well, I mean,
3: if you give people 20 different questions on, on some survey, everyone's going to sure, have yeah, yeah, a yeah, couple yeah. Like of a things. Pattern,
2: right? Absolutely. But narcissism, it's not, you know, people think like you have to be sort of tricky in how you ask about narcissism. Like, uh, but you can be use what we call face valid. That is, like, it's very clear what the question is measuring. So, like, narcissists aren't embarrassed to report, like, the world's a better place if I rule it. I'm better than others. I deserve special – like, they're not like, oh I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Narcissists and psychopaths, they answer questions actually more honestly than we might because they're not bashful. Like, you ask a psychopathic person a question like, it's a dog-eat-dog world, only the strong survive. They'll say, fuck yeah, it is. Like, you're a sucker if you don't think that way. You know, so they're not embarrassed. They actually do less – what we call impression management. They don't answer questions on these surveys in a way to make themselves look healthier. They, they right. they're more so, like, transparent.
3: You, you take a survey that says, like, how do you feel about affirmative action? And you might have your personal beliefs be- because you're having to turn this survey into a person and you're worried about what they might think of you. You might skew your, about uh, narcissists maybe aren't doing this. So you're, you might be a- actually, they might, in a way, be almost uh, more accurate yeah. uh, personality type to study.
2: Right. Exactly. No, we, we did it recently. And if anything, they, they elevate what's called this negative impression, like they're ma- trying to make themselves look bad, and they're not trying to make themselves look bad. They're just answering honestly, it, yeah. where the rest of us would be like, oh, I don't want to – like you said, the affirmative action, I don't want to endorse my true feeling on that, so I'll I'll be a little cagey. I mean, they're willing to to give you oftentimes the unvarnished truth. Now, if you ask them for insight, these questions don't ask you for insight. If you ask them do they really know the cost of this to others, they may not know that. They may not appreciate I'm making my children's life miserable because I talk about my book like Keith does every night, or it's like a bedtime story, right, you know, or yeah. brag all the time. I, I don't think they have high level insight into their the cost of their behavior, but I think they understand that you know and are willing to tell you the truth about how they view themselves more than we would be willing to tell.
3: Who's the best daddy? You are, Donnie. <laughs> you are, Donnie. All right, kids.
2: See you next year. Is this, is this a callback to the, the child uh, penis part? No, <laughs> call- I know you comedians a
3: like to call this guy that's on people's minds a lot these days. Um, I am curious. Um, I, I, uh, it seems like in any political party, it seems like narcissists. Just take over the political system. It seems like it's just pretty plainly obvious that it's just filled to the brim with egomaniac, narcissists. Like fairly, obli- there, there's some like community organizer types and you know, activisty type of people that are potentially really in it for others. But is it? It is. Is it that? narcissists are drawn toward world dominance or is it potentially that people are like wow this guy sure sounds like they know what they're talking or woman sounds like they know what they're talking about and therefore i'll vote for this person who isn't sheepishly like uh I, I mean if i were if i were running for something i'd be like well i don't know where i fall on that i think there's a number of different factors yeah. and the solutions are really tricky and you know everything has uh, n- life is very nuanced and maybe we should take some surveys and really evaluate the like people want answers like now you know and and so it's like a chicken or an egg thing are are we promoting these narcissists or are narcissists the only Not the only ones, but predominantly the ones getting into uh, the field. I think both. I think both, for sure. Yeah. And if you think about how
0: we elect people, I mean, it's this very weird reality television model, you know, where we have these sort of pseudo debates and then we have these gotcha things. And I mean, we're we're not we're not using any sort of rational recruitment strategy. We're just trying to see who's going to come out of the dust up the strongest where you're going to get the, you know, somebody who's more narcissistic. So. I think we pull for it a lot and and the other thing to ask is who's willing to destroy their family going into politics? I mean you've got to because it's not just it's you battle, yeah. yeah I mean if you you've got to be willing not just to put yourself out there but also to drag your kids through it your your spouse through it. so you've got to have a pretty healthy ego to, to go into politics. I mean some are healthier than others. But I, I think it's a pretty good pull. But you hear the same thing in the clergy, where you can attract high levels of narcissism. in oh, the clergy, maybe even academics, some have said. Um, I doubt it. The world of comedy. Uh, not, well, you know.
3: not you guys. Anyway. But, but I mean,
0: so I mean, any of these places where you can sort of get attention and fame and control people... It's kind of that's sort of attractive to yeah, people who're narcissistic. Bias, yeah, for
2: sure. They're they're drawn to those places. They're drawn to hierarchies, right? I mean, yeah. like there are places that are not hierarchical, but if you, I mean, where more than in politics or sports, you know, where you really can judge your in academia too, yeah. you get very clear markers of your success, and they like that. You know, I think they're going to seek it out, and they're going to do well. Like you said, you know, in a field that doesn't like nuance, narcissists aren't nuanced. They're brazen and brash, and and the public supports that
3: um does anyone have any questions anybody anybody in yeah. the
2: crowd the vast crowd yeah um, way
3: back here <laughs> sorry. um sorry did you no okay That's fine. oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, uh actually would you mind just stepping up here really quick and using my microphone yeah there I oh, oh, you go.
4: oh i think uh i had a question about the word humble Uh, Like, say, to go back to the basketball example, uh, say LeBron just won the uh, NBA Finals. He says this is the most humbling experience of my life. Uh, <laughs> is that appropriate use of the word humble? Because I personally don't think it is, and I'm very interested to hear what y'all think about the word humble itself and how people use it and be- to best represent how they feel. Yeah, yeah that's
3: fantastic. That's, that, that's like yeah, that's every award yeah. speech. <laughs> just uh, this person that's like, I'm the best actor, and I'll get it in an award for it, and it's just very humbling. Well, I, I mean,
0: I, I jump in. There's there's actually. A- it's a hard word because there's a few different ways people use it and I mean the word itself it comes from the word like hummus like dirt you know it's almost like people with dirt on their heads and so there's one show
3: off humble hippies
0: humble
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you tell me how about you learned that at prep school I, I
0: learned that at prep school oh. <laughs>
2: I didn't. I just read it yesterday, but
3: no. I, I, I didn't even hear it. I think like okay. the word prep school is so sickening to You're me that like,
2: I actually. It's
3: like I had
0: a girl in my cup. <laughs> no, I mean, that's where the word comes from. and uh, But there's one version which is sort of low self-esteem. I don't like myself, sort of hate myself. And then the other word is sort of more selfless. And I guess the way Le- LeBron could be saying, I'm not speaking for the, him, but it could be this is such a huge event. This is so much bigger than I am. I feel small in comparison to this massive event. That's the charitable, you know, or else it could be hashtag blessed, you know. And I don't know which it is. I don't know the guy. It's um, the latter, but it, but it you know. But I think there's something where you can be in an awesome, like a, an enormous situation, uh, being at the Olympics or something. I've talked to people in that position because we're Georgia, so half the people here were in the Olympics. Um, And they often express being humbled because it's so big and seems so much more important. And it's, you know, so that that's one. The other version is this much more low self-esteem, depressed, which I don't think is the healthy sort of
2: humility. I think in that part with LeBron, it probably was both. He was actually like. It did feel immense to bring this back to his home state and was also faux humble, like, you know, grandiose, humble bragging. Right. Yeah, The to thing
0: Toro. with the thing with team sports is if you go out there and you're like the quarterback and you're like, hey, you're the player of the year. And you're like, yeah, I owe it all to myself. My team's lucky to have me. The next game, the line is just going to make a little pocket until you go down a few times. So on team sports, it, it's not very smart to take credit. you got to thank God, your family, and your teammates, and, of course, the fans.
2: You can if you're the best player of a generation, though. I mean, seriously. You think that's what oh, you Oh, yeah, yeah, you can get away with it. You're Jordan okay. or LeBron. You okay. can get away with it. I stand corrected. But, I mean, it's a really good question. I mean, there's just not a lot of research, you know, on humility. In fact, I mean, there's been a lot of money recently sort of thrown at trying to understand this, like sort of – the the converse of narcissism which people have been so interested in right is like you know what makes up humility is it a positive thing how would you cultivate what you're asking about really is genuine sort of humility really feeling grounded and part of a bigger picture and it's true we don't know as much we've you know in psychology often focus more on personality going wrong and we don't focus as much as how, how does personality go right sometimes how, how do people adapt and be so healthy how do you develop those traits yeah
0: and we often say, you know, with some of the narcissism is people who are very narcissistic, can seem very strong. They have big, bold, strong, outgoing, active personalities, which are strong. But if you can go at it and have no self, I mean, you can kick anybody's ass because they're like, you suck. And you're like, yeah, good point. You know, or I'm, I'm sorry you feel you ever get those like new age people. You're like, you suck. And like, I'm really sorry you feel that way. And you're like,
2: oh, damn you. Are you are you one of the Internet trolls? I'm the troll. Are you writing to
0: shame? I am. I'm that guy. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, it's it, it, so it's his selflessness is gives you a great deal of strength if you can do it for real.
2: I can't. But how do you develop it? Right. Yeah. How does that?
3: I mean, I, I do think that there is um, having achieved so many milestones. <laughs> am I, I, I do think that there is definitely like a, a level of narcissism that can go along with like, I can achieve this unattainable thing. But then I also think that when you actually attain it, Sometimes it's like, holy shit, yeah. I actually did that. That's amazing. Like I I actually I was kind of lying to myself yeah. before. I <laughs> yeah. didn't think that I was actually going yeah. to So, yeah, that's a that's a wonderful question. Um does anybody else?
2: Mhm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Yeah. Um, Gosh, it, it goes along more with this sort of idea we talked about, vulnerable narcissism, more this sort of fragile or foe. And and vulnerable narcissism, like borderline, they don't actually feel that grandiose. They don't feel all that immodest. They do have some of those antagonistic traits, like when Shane was talking about the big five, it's more about like distrust and cynicism and, and what we talk about, like a hostile attribution bias. If you've been mistreated for much of your life and told you're stupid, your emotions don't make sense, then... You know, you you develop a sense of the world as a dangerous place, and I better be vigilant to it. So even you start misinterpreting what are you know normal events as that person did that to me on purpose. So I so I think people with borderline personality disorder can be self-absorbed and egocentric because I'm so much in distress, I don't have time for your problems. But it's not because I think I'm better than you. But it's like I am such a mess, I can't possibly worry about your concerns. So I. I I do think it's narcissism in some ways, but it really is quite different. It's not about grandiosity. And I personally think grandiosity is core to real narcissism, self-absorption, you know, from this other angle. Like, I would treat that very differently than I would treat, you know, someone that's really truly convinced that they are better than others, you know, and work to, you know, challenge some of those thoughts about is the world as dangerous? I mean, that was a horrible event, but maybe not everyone is going to mistreat you in terms of this more vulnerable fragility.
3: So, if someone comes in they're a narcissist, you're trying to help them through that, what what kind of treatments are available?
2: I look and see if like my partner in practice has any openings, openings. in there. Uh, <laughs> I mean, well, I, I mean, think the, the, you know, there is no validated treatment yeah. for narcissism so. I'm just speculating. I mean, I think with psychopathic and narcissist people, you think you have to play to to their benefits. That look, you're going to get more of what you want. In fact, if you're able to dial this down, you're going to get m- more adulation you're gonna rise in your corporation your relationship's gonna go better your wife is gonna get off your back you think you're the best now
3: (laughs) you're really gonna wait
2: and see how great you are once you stop fucking thinking that so much about yourself right i mean because no one like with psychopathic which goes a lot with narcissism like you're probably not gonna get much traction convincing them that they're not narcissistic or convincing a psychopathic person to care about others right so instead it might be you know if you Delay gratification, yeah, you could steal that wallet now, but if you hold a job down, you'll actually make more money in the long run. So really it's still couching in what's best for you in the long run. Because I don't think there's a lot of evidence you're going to fundamentally change how they feel about others, their connection to others' well-being. But that's all bullshit speculation. To be clear, yeah, I mean
0: that. that <laughs> they, I love bullshit. speculation. <laughs> no, but especially. I mean, that's my but favorite. there are no good like, there's no good outcome <laughs> studies. We're like, yep, this is the this, this is works. gold standard treatment for narcissism. We have a lot of study, a lot of therapies that seem to sort of work, but it's all sort of
3: anecdotal, small reports. Um, it's funny of all the things out there. It doesn't seem like there's like a medication. No, for, no, uh, no, no. <laughs>
2: yeah. I mean, psychodynamic people would say in some is that in the sessions, you need to be bringing it up. And as a therapist, I need to say, Shane, you know, um, you know, when you come late and don't apologize. Would you mind talking to Keith? Keith, He's, <laughs> Keith in this example as well. I, I've spent the last 12 years yeah, talking to Keith. <laughs> I've got given up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and sort of giving feedback based on my own reactions. You know, when you talk that way, when you denigrate everyone in your life and it's never your fault, it makes it hard for me to connect with you. And, and the hope is that repeatedly giving that message that they learn and incorporate that feedback and outside the session and, and start using those practices. But again, that takes a long time. And we know therapists don't really like treating narcissistic patients. You know, they, they make them feel stupid. They make them feel mistreated.
3: I mean, this is something that is certainly, I would say a hindrance in, uh, in a narcissist life, is that we have evolved this incredible theory of mind and the ability to empathize with others. And this is this isn't just like a, hey, let's all hug and feel good. This is uh, this is um, an ability to read someone else's mind as best you can, and the better you are at, even if you're flat out trying to manipulate people it's still going to be better if you can simulate like what other people are going through and what they're thinking of. and this is something that if if you're just focused on yourself all of the time you're probably going to have some uh, some kind of handicaps in that in mm-hmm. that domain
0: yeah but they do you know the work there's a lot of work on narcissism that perspective taking and empathy and it's it's complicated it's almost like they can do it. You know, they might not want to do it, but if for, for, forced, there is the ability to sort of see other people's perspectives. Um, it, it's not it's not at the extreme of some sort of autism or schizoid. I mean, they, people can they like you said, you have to manipulate people. You have to kind of know what they want, where they're coming from. And so I think that capacity is there generally with narcissism. It's just not turned on.
2: Well, and they talk about the difference between cognitive yeah, empathy and affective empathy. That psychopathic and narcissist people have cognitive empathy. Right. Me saying, I can figure out what Shane's feeling, and so I can give him what he needs. What I may lack is the emotional, true connection, to actually, you know, true empathy is to feel what you're feeling. And that, you know, so the cognitive empathy may actually make it easier for me to manipulate you because I'm not, I know what you want, but I'm actually not moved by your plight. So I'm not going to change my behavior necessarily except maybe to get what I want out of it.
3: Um, anybody else yeah all right Uh, this is uh last one probably unless someone else uh, we're not in that time if 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 there's one more question over after this that's fine as well all right i'm gonna need a
1: little help with this one though uh what was the study done at harvard where they got the separate people and uh, uh they made half of them cops and half of them whatever and it didn't make it through. Stanford. Stanford. Stanford Yeah, Stanford (laughs) one. That's right. Um, Okay, so going into that study, pretty much they took these people and they took half of them and they made them cops and then half of them they made them prisoners. The prisoners had to stay there and the officers or whatever got to go home. But these are all just regular people and it got shut down because they were such dicks. Um, Do you believe that with these kind of studies that I'm sorry, I'm kind of stumbling, no. but do you believe that everybody has a little bit of narcissism, at least inside of them, that's unleashed in. Yeah. In the right, it, in the right context. In the right scenario. Yeah.
0: You want me to take this? Yeah. This is a, it's sort of the classic social psychology question is, can we take anybody in the right context and turn them into a, a horrible human being? And, and, uh, and the Stanford Prison Study was, was kind of an interesting example of that, though I think with that, the other study that was sort of famous along those lines was the Milgram Study, where they had to shock people till they allegedly died or appeared to die. Well, it turns out people differed on that. There were personality differences. You know, you take some people and put them in that situation, they're worse than others. And I think that would, you know, if, you, if you've been in a fraternity where they had hazing or been in a, worked in a prison, um, I think... Certain people arise to those occasions more readily than other people, but the but the other thing is that this you know this leaving people unsupervised and giving them power, people can do pretty horrible things. I mean, look at I was Abu Ghraib, you know, and, and back in in, uh, in 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 Iraq, um, yeah, people can people can do bad things. Are but you saying
3: it was too sexy? Is that what the issue was there with uh, with the pictures and the nudity that oh, got? Oh God! No. <laughs> was, you just trust my just... child penis? <laughs> no, no, I, was, I wasn't going there. No, I was just thinking
0: because Phil Zimbardo, did the prison study, testified on that court case about. Yeah, uh, no, I know. I'm I was, sorry, but no, I yeah. I mean, I think it's. I think making it's a, jokes. It's no, that's that's your job, man. Yeah. and I'm here to.
3: I'm really laugh. great at it. Um. <laughs> I mean, I, was the a, best.
0: I, I think that's tough in terms of life. I think p- most people are sort of in the middle of narcissism or a little bit on the low side in our culture. So we have a little bit of it. I don't think that's a problem. We evolved to have some narcissism at certain times. You want to sh- you know, show off. You want to you know, hit on somebody at a bar. You need to pump yourself up a little bit. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think the problem with this trade or any trade is when they get too extreme and start messing up your life. And that's when I get more concerned about.
2: Also, it kind of reminds a little of the idea of acquired narcissism, right? Like celebrities. Like, imagine the most humble person, like LeBron, the most humble person going to say you make a big all of a sudden in singing or acting. Or you sports. win the lottery. I mean,
3: yeah. that could flip a someone desperate who hates themselves. All of a sudden, you give them a hundred yeah. million dollars, and then that, that might right. change a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, in, you just think about how
2: hard would it be to be a celebrity and not be narcissistic? Right. That, like, if people everywhere you it's went a ch- were giving you special It's just treatment. a daily challenge right. for me. I, I don't blame you that, for being an uh, asshole. <laughs> 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 no. I mean, it would be very hard to fight against it. I mean, I'm always amazed when you hear stories about celebrities where they're like, so-and-so is genuinely such a nice person. Because you think, like, how hard it would be if everywhere you went, people did special things for you, always got special treatment. Um, It would be very hard not to. And in, in, in the prison study, in some ways, when you're given all this power, many people would move to it. The Keith's point is... Individual difference would would some depend people. whether or not you were like right on. i been yeah. waiting to torture someone. This is my dream. Everyone would probably move a little towards more authoritarian like stuff, but how far you took it—that's where sort of some of the values and traits you brought to bear would probably differentiate. Hmm.
0: But the, there was one study done on celebrities where they actually measured narcissism and comedians, and and it was Dr. Drew and Mark Young when the Loveline show give the NPI to a bunch of people and found the scores were generally high, but the highest scores were people in reality television. I love this study. Which I thought was really interesting. (laughs) Comedians were up there too, but the highest were reality TV in part because it's like you can be famous and all you have to do is be just kind of over the top version of yourself. Like you don't have to have any talent. You don't have to do, you know, whereas if you're a musician or a comedian or an actor, you actually have to know something. You have to relate to people. So I think they are, you know, there are things that pull for narcissism and things that pull a lot like reality television or at least a lot of versions of it
3: um well this is uh this is actually really exciting because I um just found out you may have heard my phone just go off there what that was is actually um this podcast actually just received an award for best podcast in Athens Georgia and a weird hippie house this evening <laughs> nice and I guys. just whew, guys I want to say I'm incredibly humbled um, I I want to thank the purple dancing gypsy lady that lives in my head and controls the universe and I'd like to thank uh, my uh, business partner Ramin Nazer, Jimmy Froh podcast does the editing for this show and we have Josh Miller and Keith Campbell everybody give them a hand yeah. And I guess you can give yourselves a hand as well for coming out. Thank you guys so much. You were awesome. This was a a, a really fun one. So thank you. (laughs) All right, everybody. Quick shout out to Laughable, the best app for all of your podcasting needs and also please support me on patreon if you would be so kind right now we have 31 patrons at and i at 102 per month if we get that up to say two thousand dollars a month which would be about 600 patrons at this rate um which i don't think is uh unreasonable with the number of you out there uh throwing a few bucks here a few bucks there ten dollars here twenty dollars a month what are you crazy um what that allows me to do is have freedom to create more interesting things i can make money by going and performing at comedy clubs and i have fun doing that but for me to do really what i try to consider kind of cutting edge and very different things i think if you saw a good trip while i was on tour you noticed that was different than your average comedy club show and um just a lot more unique, a lot more informative, and just better in general. But to do things like that, I need to spend about six months just losing money. And so comedy clubs are a really nice safe way for me to make money, but they also take away from me pushing the limit and doing things like uh, the DMT show with all of the artwork and the VR DMT experience that I am putting together and starting to experiment with. And also this documentary which is exceptionally low budget we're having to cut a lot of corners means the less corners that i have to cut meaning that it will be a better film meaning that it will get more views and be sold easier and all of that good stuff so you can uh you can support me on patreon there's a link on the here we are com site but uh, you know asking for money always makes me feel weird and dirty and all of that, but uh, we're we're all we're all family here now. You see what I'm trying to do with all of this stuff, and I think that many of you believe in uh, in kind of what I'm trying to do and the messages that I'm trying to spread. And so um, it's just a way that you can support with a few a few to a few hundred dollars a month if you want. Uh, but anyway, um, no. Big whoop. If you're broke, I get it. I'm broke as well. Uh, And I just appreciate you listening and spreading the word and writing reviews and learning and sharing what you learn with others. I think that's, uh, I mean, that's the main reason why I do all of this. So every time you find a little tidbit of something interesting that you can go off and share at a dinner party and impress all of your friends. Why am I always talking about dinner parties? Is that what I don't know. I'm such an adult. Dinner party? Do we do dinner parties? I guess we do. Uh anyhow, it's it's always fun when you can show off one of those fun facts, and then people are like, ooh, ah, how'd you do that? And then they share them with others, and then that creates a shift in perception amongst people. We we cater to people's own egocentric uh, and need to advertise their many strengths to others and we use that to change people's minds and to get people started uh, starting to be more interested in science to, more interested in learning and appreciating life and having empathy for others shh don't tell anyone we're tricking them all right You guys that listen all the way to the end, you are fantastic. You're my favorite people that there are in the whole wide world. Hugs, kisses, and have a good week.
4: Interior Happening discotheque Remember when we call clubs <laughs> discotheques? <laughs> LOL The 70s were crazy Night The crowd bustles with young hot Mexicans Who are supposed to be Cuban And all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts And pants that look like Jinko jeans And pleated khakis had a really weird baby <laughs> <laughs> There's sex in the air And Poppy wants a whiff
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god <laughs>
4: <laughs> Scarface, 22 to 45.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: like
3: he's a television audience demographic? <laughs>
4: devilishly handsome not even a little bit Italian looking so get that out of your dumb brain <laughs> walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the yin-yang twins <laughs> one day. Oh does he actually have a scar on his face fuck no why would he even why would you even ask that that's not important what's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype <laughs> and that he has come for his cocaine <laughs>